Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. Hello, everybody. Welcome to season four of Undermine, the Undermine podcast by Osiris Media. I'm Tom Marshall, your host of these proceedings. And we're incredibly at episode 34. How did we do that? In a season where we have been waiting to highlight shows in the wonderful Fall 97 tour where fish destroyed America. And I'm pleased to say we're deep into that tour now with a show from November 26, 1997 in Hartford, Connecticut. And I'm here with the affable but pragmatic dictator of Osiris, my co-host, RJB. Hi, RJ. Hey, Tom. Um, today, we are moving on to Hartford to talk about 11-26-97, a tape I celebrated gloriously when I received it later in 97. Um, like most Fall 97 shows, this has kind of a little bit of everything from a great tweezer. I wore my special shirt today to commemorate that song. And, uh, and a tweezer opener and jammed out versions of songs you wouldn't normally hear. And um, we're we're excited to get into it. Um, before we do, I will say, as I always say, please consider supporting our new Osiris premium offering, which you can join for just a few bucks a month. You can get bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, access to all the old Under the Scales interviews, 
and a lot more osirispod.com slash premium. And, um, we know that a lot of people have been asking us to come on the show. We are totally booked for the entire season, but we really want to hear from you. So send us a video clip of you talking about whatever show you want to talk about. 60 seconds max posted on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook tag Osiris pod. And we're going to go through all of them. I've seen a few already. Uh, we're going to choose a contributor at random and they will win a handwritten copy of the lyrics to ghost from Tom Marshall. All right, Tom Marshall, what is happening now? Right now, I'm going to announce who our get. Oh shoot! I let him in too early. Uh, I normally, I normally That's announce, okay. I normally announce our guest and uh, give him an intro or her an intro. Uh, Scott, I I brought you in too early, uh, so let me do my uh, inter my uh, introduction to you anyway. Um, we are pleased to have again as our guest back on undermine the infamous scott marks scott marks is biz archive on twitter always tweeting a ton of relevant fish facts he live tweets the set list during shows he's a board member of the fan run volunteer organization mockingbird which amazingly recently surpassed two million in gifts to music education scott is always on tour and always available to help fish fans in any way including monetary grants of any size just ask him scott marks welcome back Hey, thanks for having me. It's so nice of you to just give money to random fans if they just come up to you and ask you. I'm glad to help out the community any way I can. All right. All right. Well, we're going to make sure that they know to do that. Um, <laughs> Scott, um, <laughs> we're absolutely thrilled to talk to you again. And last time we were in Amsterdam in July. Uh, and now it's November and we're back in the U.S. four months later. And Fish is slaying it and are they more serious than they were in europe the previous summer what's the main difference i think the main difference is that you had a, a concept that kind of was starting out with the funk that was now full-blown uh night after night you were going to find one two three several jams that that had that funk feel to it and and this Hartford show was right up there with anything else in the tour Absolutely. And I should say for the record, um, and I haven't yet had full verification. I didn't keep good notes or good ticket stubs, but um, two of my tour buddies claim that I was there and looking at this set list, it looks extremely familiar, but I'm still getting verification from one guy who is infallible, my friend Scott Herman, and he hasn't answered me yet, but I'm pretty sure I was at this show. Anyway, RJ, what's going on? I don't know if you were there. Um, if that's your question, but I, I would assume that you are, um, that you are there still. So this is, uh, Scott, this was their second show at the Hartford Civic Center. They played there in the fall of 96 and they had actually only previously played one show in Hartford at, at Trinity college, but then Hartford went on to become this like legendary venue for fish, which is awesome. And, and this happens to be your first show, which is awesome. Um, you mentioned the kind of full blown funk um, it's interesting because like starting with this tweezer and just the whole show, I feel like we're in this like different, more serious darkness funk, um, but that's a little bit less like, it just feels a little more serious and a little bit dark, but I, I'm just curious, what was it like going to, to your first show and how did you make it to your first show? And then, and then we can start talking about that, that tweezer. So I, I grew up in West Hartford, uh, one town over and. They, they had played at the University of Hartford in West Hartford in 93. And I hadn't even heard of the band at that point. I didn't hear about Fish until 94. 
and was in the wrong part of the state for 95 when they were in New Haven and 96 when they were in Hartford. Then finally had my chance in 97. Um, I had just come home for uh, Thanksgiving break, Thanksgiving weekend from college. I had no car. So I literally was driven to the Civic Center, dropped off, and then picked up three hours later. Um, And I went in there and I ran into one person I knew uh, before the show uh, in the concourse and then was on my own throughout the entire night. Um, I did keep a set list. Um, I had an RA that year, uh, my freshman year at college who had kept set lists and I kind of immediately adapted to that. And, um, so I had like a, of a two pieces of paper with like one side has one set list and the other side has the other. And, um, I had a couple of people or a couple of songs I needed help with and much different now where people will ask me for songs and I, I I'll know a bunch of people that, around me at shows or that I walk in with. Um, but you know, I, I had tapes and I had pretty much, I think I had all the CDs at that point. And I was just really excited to finally have that chance to see my first show. And I did one show in 97 and eight in 98 and did over 20 in 99. And so the rest is history. Um, <laughs> I just uh, kept doing more and more. So were you expecting a tweezer opener? What were you expecting versus how this show started to unfold? I had no expectations. I'm pretty sure I wasn't looking at set lists at that point. Um, I got involved with like uh, Gate Eels board a, a year later and was looking at the set lists on Fishnet and, and Fall 98. But at that point, I don't think I really had any clues to what was going on. I, I didn't know about the rest of the tour. So there was definitely a, a level of... Uh, of noobness at that point um going into that first show i mean we have to just talk about the tweezer for a second just because this i mean first of all uh, an opening an opening first set tweezer is just like what else could you ask for but there's like as the tour evolves there's more of this kind of like there's funk but there's also a little bit more kind of uh, um blissful kind of jamming a little bit in there there's a lot going on there um and i feel like these these shows the the transitions were great and this this whole first set is great What's your take on this tweezer and, and how do you, how do you, how do you describe it? It's one of my favorite tweezers. Um, you know, right out the gate, you, you get an 18 minute song and um, I just really, really enjoyed it. And you know, it had some funk. It didn't have, 
as much as other versions throughout the tour. Um, I feel like Hampton had uh, a little more to it, um, but you could definitely feel it. I, I listened to the show again at work this morning um, to kind of refresh my memory. And, you know, there, there's certain things that pop out and, and the tweezer was, was definitely one of them. Um, you start the song, you start the show out with something like that. And it's just, it's, it's a fantastic way to get, the, to get things going. It's really, really great. But I, the, and the, they did this a lot in the, in this tour, the, the segue into sparkle and then into gumbo, which was also a really nice, nice jam. Um, they're just, they were, I think that's just one of the, I guess, side effects of them being so together in, in 97, like the, the segues were just awesome. And that whole first set has a bunch of really cool, cool segments. Um, what are, what are some of your other highlights, Scott? Uh, the gumbo is fantastic. Um, you, you look at gumbos now where they're, you know, three, four minutes and don't really go anywhere. And this is 10, 12 minutes and gets out there. And, uh, it's an interesting jam. And, um, I, I definitely enjoyed that. And you got McGrupp, which was a rarity even by 97 standards. And, um, I mean, the whole set just had a, a good song selection. Um, you had a couple of good jams to go with everything else that fit in there. I I will second the motion on uh, McGrupp. Um, and I know you weren't asking me, RJ, you're asking our guest, but my set one highlight is uh, McGrupp. The version is perfect. I can't think of a better one. As you said, Scott, there's a, like, there, there's not that many McGrupps. However, when they played them, they were amazing in, in 97. Um, Cause uh, like I mentioned to RJ, McGrupp and he mentioned quickly two others that that like immediately were either as good or, or better than this one but this one's kind of my favorite um that I've heard and, and we've been re-listening as you know to tons and tons of shows and I think it's possibly because of um what Paige does the the quiet piano breakdown and and then the way that Trey comes in with some tasty stuff before and it gets like just deliciously chaotic before the composed section comes back. I really, really love this, this McGrupp. It, it's probably my favorite McGrupp. It's really good. I, I think the um, that's something and we made this this point on other shows from this season, but it's not just that they were like having these great funk jams, right? They were they were kind of able to do it all. Like there's the there's some beautiful like transcendent jams in these shows, and and like this McGrupp, it's a good example of a show where like it's kind of you know it's pretty it's pretty wild. Like Tweezer, Sparkle, Gumbo, My Soul, and then and then McGrupp is like they're able to get 
like quiet and, you know, and then kind of bring it back. It's a, it, I feel like that takes a lot of skill, especially in like, you know, a raucous arena in, in the Northeast where they're like starting to really like hit their stride in this tour. Um, the, the taste that closes out the set is also really cool. Taste and theme in 97 were just both, I think really great songs just because they allow that kind of like slow buildup over time. I think that taste, it was like a great, great set closer for 97. You and know, we, we don't see that anymore. Yeah. A challenging song to play. And they of course were note perfect for every single one in this tour. Uh, t- taste was no exception that it's a, kind of a tough song it sounds like it's a tough song to play i've never <laughs> never learned it myself but um uh it was perfect and it's a great ending to this set and unless scott has something to say about the taste it might be a good time to take a quick break what do you say scott uh yeah i, I thought it was a great way to end this set and you start the set with another billy breathe song so it's uh kind of bookends at the end of the start Perfect. All right. So time to talk more about the music in the second set when we return after this quick break. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com, that's distrokid with a capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine for a special offer only for our listeners. That's distrokid, capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine. Thanks, DistroKid. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. And we are back, and our guest today is the famous Scott Marks. Um, Scott, this set to Character Zero, sort of a surprise of the show, but I guess it probably maybe shouldn't have been a surprise, just given how much, how many songs were were jammed out. This is the longest version ever, so let's just let's just talk about it. I mean, this is a and your first show again, so you're getting uh you're getting a really thrown into the deep end here. It's it's mind blowing. Um, for most of the song's history, you've had it showing up as a set closer, an encore. It's it's essentially arena rock fish, um, you know, and it works out well in, in that angle. And then all of a sudden, you have something that's going over twenty minutes right out of the gate, and then you really didn't see that at all until uh, last year and this year. Uh, where zero got jammed out a little bit. 
Um, and so I think through everybody for a loop and I, I, again, I had nothing really to compare it outside of like Billy breathes at that point, the, the album and all of a sudden, you know, here it is. Uh, I didn't know it was an arena rock song because I wasn't listening to shows nonstop. Um, but it's like, you catch something like that and you don't catch it again and you wait for it and you wait for it and you wait for it. And then finally over 20 years later, it kind of comes back into that style a little bit. It's still not quite the same as this, but it was something where you look at shows now where any song can really be jammed out. And it really wasn't that situation back in the nineties. And then all of a sudden there was this zero, you know, Julius got jammed out once that tour. So I mean, it could ha happen, but it was not a frequent basis. Like more like it is now. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I mean, this is in this version. I mean, there's, it's, it's a lot of Trey playing and there's, it's kind of a little bit heavier than, than what we hear in like some of the pure funk jams, you know, this is just like, I don't know. I feel like it's starting to get, like I said earlier, like this tour, it's starting to get a little dark in, in a, in a really fun way. And uh, this is, I mean, 20 minutes of just pure, pure madness. We've only seen, like you said, Scott. I mean, I guess in Orange Beach in 2022 there was a there was a jam, Character Zero jam. Like besides that, there's you don't see them much anymore. So like, I don't know. Maybe that's the next. Maybe that's the next song to come back. If I want to say it happened at uh, Atlantic City this year as well, um, which threw uh, me for a loop. Nice. Uh, the, one of the first yeah. sets. Um, so it, it it's happened a couple of times um, where it, it didn't happen. Period. Um, it's like you, you'd hear the song start and you knew what you were going to get. Now, now you're not so sure anymore. Um, yeah. even, yeah. even MSG, uh, during the April run, you had the, uh, character zero going back into tweezer into character zero again. And just, your jaw kind of drops to the floor when all of a sudden they threw something in the middle of zero and they nailed it. Um, so they're, they're certainly playing around with the song a lot more now than they, they did for a long time. Yeah. Which is amazing. Tom, this is one of the songs that it's one of my favorite set closers just because it allows you to really like really let loose and rock out. Um, but I feel like this is probably one of the songs where people know the lyrics and they're yelling them, but probably have no idea what they're actually saying. Um, do you know what they're saying? <laughs> um, yeah, I can help with the lyrics, but it occurred to me when Scott said uh, that this is an arena rock song. It occurred to me that like, so I was in the Cayman Islands, I think in uh, early 95 with Trey on a songwriting trip, songwriting and scuba diving trip. We both had our paddy licenses um, that we had already written uh, for that 
uh, that earlier we'd written um, theme from the bottom. So we had an art song and we'd written waste. So we had a ballad. I'm wondering if Trey, like in the back of his head, like a good fisherman, you know, has to have every kind of lure in his tackle box. I wonder if he was like, you know, it's time for <laughs> However, the way that it did come out, come about was very random. And it was, um, uh, you know, we we went to the undeveloped um the east side of Cayman Island. On the west, there's like um, you know, glistening, famous beach and tons of hotels. But Trey and I went to the undeveloped side, away from people and away from everything on that coast. And we were at this little mini resort with one dive boat, and the roads to get there weren't paved. And so we'd rented this tiny little uh Suzuki SUV. And Trey was the designated driver. He loved dirt roads and actually was kind of an expert at driving on them from living in Vermont. Like in New Jersey, where I live, there's pavement <laughs> everywhere, um, but not so much in Vermont and definitely not on the east side of uh, Grand Cayman in 1995. Um, so anyway, while he drove, I would tune maybe between three stations on the terrible AM radio in the car. And if I found music we would blast it and sing our own words and just crack each other up. And one of those was a song and I have no idea what the actual words were. Um, I probably wouldn't recognize the song if I heard it again, because we just, we co-opted it. We sang on top of it. Um, but before long we were singing, I got to see the man Mulcahy and I got to be the man Mulcahy. We were just, and we thought it was the funniest thing ever. And I don't necessarily know apart from that, the word Mulcahy sounded like something in the song, what that even means. Um, but when we got back uh, to our hotel, we immediately wrote that song with a chorus because we both know the rule is never ignore your muse when she gives you a song. And so, and although this time the muse was the, a man, it was the man Mulcahy, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, right away because of our, laughter and our exuberance it became a, a, a full-on rocker that is amazing i don't know if i've heard that story before but i but i haven't I, yeah okay great. it was great <laughs> <laughs> yeah lots of fun i remember telling some people you know what i think it was um i remember telling some people recently about that but i think it was at a lunch I think it was at a, this mm. lunch I recently went to where there was like five fish fans at the lunch. That That's it. That actually is it. Because I remember I, I was like, oh, shit, did I just tell this? Did I just tell this story <laughs> twice on Undermine? Anyway, there it is. The man. Mark that Hayes. is awesome. <laughs> um, thanks for sharing that. Scott, what? So this is like, you know, this jam is 20 minutes and then you go straight straight into 2001, which is always a, a crowd pleaser. But this one is... Um, is really cool. And I think maybe a little bit more what we were expecting or what we come to identify with fall 97. You know, you, you're talking in, in the first part of this podcast about transitions and this is it right here. Uh, the 2001 cities into the Yamar. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, Kevin Shapiro released uh, character zero uh as one of the from the archives tracks and super excited to have a soundboard of that. But um, I'm also a little jealous of the other shows in this tour. Like you, you look at the previous three nights and tour all got live fish releases. And I'm just waiting for this, waiting, waiting, waiting. Um, but yeah, the 2001 um, gets out there a little bit and just settles into this fantastic funky groove. And then all of a sudden 
cities pops up and it's in a different key and then they, they fix it. And man, it, I, I'm, I've listened to this so much and not just because it's my first show, but just because it's such a great uh, three, three song transition um, sandwich, if you will. And it's just, it's, it's fantastic. And it's, it's peak fish um, from that era. And, you know, just it goes to show you don't need to have a 20 minute jam to have something really work out. And it's, it's just, it's great music. Man, it's um, it's really cool that and the the end of the cities is just like some of these shows like you can't really even tell where it comes from. It just like it happens so smoothly and so seamlessly. It's it's really really great. And you know, getting like a second set, mid second set, Yamara punch you in the eye, Caspian. I feel like nowadays people would like look at the set list and be like, okay, I guess the I guess the show kind of dropped off there. But this doesn't feel like any any drop in energy it's sort of like the punch you in the eye is is also like it's, it's really kind of intense you know they're like they're pushing hard the whole time it's a strange placement for the punch in the eye deep in the second set um but it it worked um and um yeah i don't think the yamar is really a drop off in energy uh caspian is a little bit but in the same sense you just kind of played uh, all out for 40, 50 minutes. I think you're entitled to have a, a five minute breather, if you will. And you know, Caspian was again, Billy breeds and was still being played heavily at that point. Um, so it makes sense for that to, to show up. And it's a really like a really good version, the Caspian there's a, there's really great, great guitar playing there with, from Trey. Um, and then poor heart, like kind of starts, as Rocky Top, <laughs> it's definitely not a normal start to to Poor Heart um, in the Tweezer Reprise to to close it out. I mean, this is a this is a really great first show. And Scott, I I have to mention the 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 jam charts, the tour specific jam charts for Fall '97. Um, there's eight entries for this show, um, which is you know for a, a tour that's filled. And there's a lot of them on a lot of shows, but eight eight jam chart entries on your first show is uh that's pretty awesome. And it's a good, it's also a really cool resource. It feels like the show is a dark horse. Um, a lot of other shows get a lot of attention from the tour and, and rightfully so. Um, you know, you, you have the runway jam to uh, two shows later and you look at Dayton and, um, and just a bunch of other shows and, Denver was live fish and the, the Hampton, um, North Carolina, Hampton, North Carolina shows. And then and there's Hartford, which has eight entries on the jam charts. Um, that's one of your lesser known shows, if you will. And there's still so much, uh, packed into this. RJ, with your clear clear way of describing things, could you tell my wife, who right now is exercising while listening to our podcast, wondering what the heck jam charts are? <laughs> well, Scott's more intimately familiar with them, but um, raspberry is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's all different kinds of of jam. Um, okay, jam charts are, and Scott, correct me where I'm wrong. They are a compilation by song and then by tour of where, where notable jams occurred. So there's a jam chart entry for, for songs. So you go to the bathtub gin jam chart and you see 
every notable version that and particularly jammed out versions and then there are critical versions which are highlighted in yellow um so like you know it gets to this level of granularity so if you want to hear if you want to see like where were the biggest mic song jams ever you can just go to fishnet go to the song mic song and look at the jam chart and there are tour focused ones so this fall 97 tour which we can link to you can see every jam chart entry for the entire tour scott did i mostly get that right yeah that was great um it's such a great entry level uh thing for for fish fans if, if you're just getting to the band and you want to know more about a certain song or even if you've been listening to this band for 20 30 years and you want to do a deeper dive um there's really something for everybody um you might hear something and forget about it and like oh all right i'm gonna go listen to this and then there it is um so the the team that puts that together um deserves a lot of credit it's a lot of work and uh, it's a fantastic resource on the site and the site really is the site being fish.net yes fish.net um but you know what's interesting is that how well who makes who decides what's what's a critical or like a you know the yellow highlighted version or whether something gets to be on on there is there there's a whole decision making process that that exists there's yeah a there's a team that there's a team that's involved with that um i'm not I'm not part of it. I might offer my two cents every so often, but um, I, I usually just uh, stay in my own lane. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, there, there's definitely, I would imagine a decision-making process. I never really asked them, you know, how it goes, how they go about putting that all together. It's best not to, it's best not to look in too deeply and find who the board of directors is on things like the set list committee or the jam chart committee, because I have a feeling it's like there's three people that we, we know really well that we don't, you know, that are on there and they're on all the committees and they're dictating what we listen to. Stone cutters club of fish. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Well, I know that, um, you know, teases also, that's a whole different, that's a whole different area where exactly. we, we can't even, we can't even get into that. Um, Scott, <laughs> what, what happened when you left the show? Um, I mean, I know oh, that you saw more. Hold on, wait. We have to okay. talk about the the encore, please. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you're you're talking about dark fish, and I think the cavern is pretty dark. Um, yeah, yeah. Jana yeah, goes yeah. into, and then Trey's going into the old lyrics. Um, That's what I, I wanted to talk about. It's, it's not like an upbeat cavern. It just gets really dark in the middle of the jam and stretches out a bit. So he forgets. Like, he, he he only remembers the second half of the lyric. He he uh, he uses a word, the B word for woman, that I'm not going to repeat because it's been bred out of my vocabulary. But um, uh, he he leaves out the first part. You can hear him muttering something, and uh, he, uh, the the actual lyrics are. And I will credit this entire phrase to my friend Scott Herman, uh, who co-wrote this these lyrics with me. The brothel wife then grabbed the knife and slashed me on the tongue. I dropped the B. <laughs> I don't want to say it. I don't even want to say it. And dropped her in the dung. I grabbed the knife from the B and dropped her in the dung. Yeah, he definitely misses the first half of those lyrics. Yes. Yeah. And then repeats, <laughs> then then decides he likes the word dung a lot and repeats it the second time in the jam. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it it does add to the the tongue. Yeah, dropped her in the tongue over and over. Yeah, and it and and uh, it does it adds to the darkness. And again, it's one of those where I think people, you know, left like, what was going on? Scratching their heads. What is that all about? (laughs) If you you listen, exactly. Listen carefully in the first set. uh, Cell in the morning page changes lyrics to morning sickness as well. So there are also all these little lyric things that are thrown in throughout the show. Uh, that one's a lot more subtle than obviously the ultimate lyrics to Cavern, which have shown up every so often. Oh, instead of morning stillness, it's morning sickness. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if no. uh, is, it was someone, 97, I was wondering if anyone was pregnant and was experiencing morning sickness. Interesting. We'll have to look deeper into that. Yeah, we 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 will do that. We will... We will definitely do that. Um, Scott, when you, when you, I guess, well, I think Trey's younger daughter was born in spring of 97. That's what he, he mentioned that in the, when we, when we were talking about that recently. Um, so that could be it. Maybe pages. Uh, I don't know. I maybe maybe she was friend. pregnant during the meat stick thing in uh, 2000. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, earlier. Uh, I don't know. We're going to have to find out, but Scott, we, we know that you ended up going to more fish shows after this. So presumably you had a good time and wanted to see more. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was in Rhode Island and they did a Island tour. And so I was two towns away for those Providence shows and had family out in Indiana. So I was out for the Deer Creek shows and, um, but did, made it work. Did you get a um, car so, by then or did, did your parents have to drive you again to those no, shows? No, I, Neither. Um, I, I didn't get a car till junior year. Um, and then my, my grades definitely suffered, uh, when I, <laughs> on that fall 99 tour. Um, but, um, yeah, I, 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 I got around, I, I was able to make things work with uh, other, other friends and, <laughs> um, you know, it's certainly nicer to be self-sufficient, uh, at that point. That's what it's all about being self-sufficient you, and having friends and, and being part of this, uh, incredible community. That is the fish community. It is Scott. I have to just ask one, one last thing. Do you remember what you were, what you felt like after the show or like walking out of this? I mean, cause you had been listening to them for a while and I think we all remember our first show, but I mean, maybe not Tom, but most of us remember our first shows, uh, like how, you know, how it was different or, or similar to, to what we were expecting or just what was it like after? It's just, a, I think, a level of awe. Um, I mean, I, I had seen some live music at that point and to, to finally see my my first fish show. Um, I remember lying at home and my ears were ringing because I, I wasn't wearing earplugs at the time and didn't get around to that for 13 years. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, kids, earplugs. Um, but it was, yeah. uh, it was a really special experience and I, I, I knew that I had seen something that I wanted to keep seeing, um, had that level of, of joy. Um, and it was fantastic. I think that's a great place for us to stop today. Thank you so much, Scott Marks. And thank you to all listeners and thanks to the Osiris team. And I'd like to give a quick shout out to Cash or Trade, the world's only social network where fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. Check them 
Check them out at cashortrade.org. And please remember also to review and subscribe wherever you listen or watch. And goodbye. And please remember to blaze on. And I do have a note about blaze on. A lot of people ask me, um, and these might not be fish fans. These might just be fans listening to, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I've had at least three people ask me why I say blaze on at the end. And apart from the obvious double meaning, I'm talking about what Robert Frost was talking about, you know, the great American poet. He said in uh, The Road Not Taken, two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And that's what I'm tapping into or is trying in Blaze On. So blaze your own trail through life. And thank you, everybody. Thanks, RJ. Thank you, Scott. Osiris. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are the Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast.